And you can grab a seat and um, welcome to Christ Church. My name's uh, Brian Beeman. If I have not had the opportunity to greet you, um, welcome here this morning. And uh, I'm the lead pastor here and just so um, excited and thankful for the opportunity to serve you as we walk through God's word this morning. And, um, you know, as we gather week in and week out, one of the things that I just want to make sure we're reminded of regularly is is, is, is why we meet and why we gather. And uh, I was reading uh, this week from a, a book by John Mark Comer called uh, Live No Lies, and there was a section in it, and I want you guys to read this with me just to remind ourselves why we gather together. And I agree with his, his heart here so deeply. He wrote, I'm all, I'm all for Sundays now more than ever. After dozens of hours of secular programming coming into our minds all week long, We need the anchor of Sunday gatherings to recenter our minds on truth and open our hearts back to God for healing and renewal. Every time I walk in on Sunday and see other followers of Jesus all around me, I remember I'm not alone. I'm part of the new humanity, the future rulers of the world, ordinary and flawed as we may be. But while the church is not less than Sunday services, it is far more. It must be more to survive the Western spiritual apocalypse, appropriate language. Church must be a thick web of interdependent relationships between resilient disciples of Jesus, deeply loyal to the way. That is why we gather together. And we gather together to understand the way, and, the, and, and you understand the way of Jesus by hearing the words of Jesus and then walking them out and applying them to your life. And so this morning we have in front of us Matthew chapter 6. It's time to recenter our minds on truth, on truth. And this morning I, I, wanna, I want to highlight something as sort of an, an entrance into this message um, one, of the, one of the trends that I see in our culture that I really appreciate is the increasing transparency regarding mental health issues. Now, now, as a follower of Christ, I believe it's critical to process through mental health issues through the lens of a biblical worldview. And believers cannot and should not live under the labels and identity of the psychological community. But what we do value is we value transparency. To to confess, church, and to work through struggles and sin within biblical community and to get the help that we need is so essential. We are not alone. Look around this room and up and down the rows and we're we're not alone and we, we cannot continue in any way to live in isolation. This next passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to address anxiety. And and he is clear here that anxiety is something that is forbidden. He's saying, do not be anxious multiple times. And and anxiety is a a sin. It's a a result of the fall that plays out sometimes because of our actions and sometimes because of the fallenness of our very nature. Physically, we sometimes feel these realities. But ultimately, it's rooted in in a lack of faith um, in your heavenly Father. And so we want to understand that and and walk into that. So much of the foundation of that requires us assessing our faith and who we know God to be. Over the last three years, particularly, 
I have seen and witnessed in my life and in many other people's lives an acceleration of this issue of anxiety. Raise your hand if you've seen that in the church. You've seen that in your lives. You've seen that in the world. It's so clear. This message this morning is needed. We need to hear what Jesus has to say. But let, let, me, let me first just be transparent. Um, anxiety is a real struggle in my life. I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. It's a reality. Anxiety at times has led to difficulty sleeping, unpredictable moments of panic, and other physical and mental symptoms. Fortunately in that, I've seen God at work in so many areas. I've been honest in biblical community, which I think has been one of the, the greatest helps to my own soul and heart. I've been honest with God, I've been honest with my wife, I've been honest with family and trusted counselors and elders and staff friends and, and even authors that have spoken truth over my life in regards to the subject. By God's grace, I am I'm walking in, in victory, particularly in a most recent season, really unlike I've seen in the past five plus years. And it, what it does, though, is it makes this passage incredibly personal to me. And, 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 and I, want to, I want to assure anyone who struggles with anxiety that this passage is needed again and again and again over your mind and your heart. This is one of those struggles that can come in a variety of different ways and, and we need an antidote to anxiety and, and even the preparation for this message was a, a reinforcement of these truths over my heart and life. And so let's read it together and then let's break it down and study it. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink, not, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, those who don't know God. <clears throat> and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <laughs> That's so good for us to be reminded of. And the, the big idea from this passage is that uncompromising trust in your heavenly Father is the only antidote to anxiety. And we're going to unpack the beauty and the power of this truth. And, and it's not a truth that can be known just mentally. It must be embodied. It, it must be literally the truth of God's word. He intends it to be consumed, to be digested again and again, to both defend against anxiety and protect us and even heal us from it. 
There's two ways to apply this truth to your life as an antidote to anxiety. First, this. Rest in the much more of God's sovereign care. To to make his point uh, crystal clear, uh, Jesus does what uh, many communicators will do is he, 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 he literally moves the truth and he puts it into illustration. And he's making a comparison here between his sovereign care for the natural world and his sovereign care for his children. He's comparing these two things to make a point. Break it down. Look at it with me. First, birds of the air. He's like, the birds fly around and they search for food, but ultimately God provides sovereignly for the birds. Like a quick aside too, sometimes there's multiple layers of meaning you can see or or even application in a text. It's not advocating for a sense of laziness. Like I'm just going to sit there and God's just going to magically provide it. Like the birds fly around, they're searching for food. But ultimately, the supply of that food is God's sovereign care. And here in verse 26, we see the first sort of much more statement when, when, when Jesus says he's asking a question, but he's not really asking a question. He's asking a question because to the listeners, it was so obvious what the answer was. Are you not of more value than they? He's not asking this question seriously, although some people in the world are today. So just rest assured, you could still eat your Chick-fil-A sandwich because the the birds are under our dominion and fine for us to consume. And um, and so because like 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 legitimately it says in verse 26 there, like, are you not of more value than they? It's really important starting point to understand in the dignity of the way God's created you that you are of considerable, considerable more value than that of the animals in the world. Then the lilies of the field, the second illustration. And here he gets to the end of that picture of the lilies of the field and he says there in verse 30, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He compares, he actually establishes the beauty and the the splendor of of how the, the lilies are clothed and he compares it to Solomon and then he goes from Solomon and he's like, wait, wait, much more? is God's provision for you. See, you start to realize at this point in the passage that it's not really about the specifics of clothing or food. It's really about the much more of God's sovereign care. It's it's much more than birds. It's much more than the lilies of the field. Those two words together, much more, that you see in verse 30, they're, they're kind of like, Um, What he's doing there with those two words together is what we sometimes do when we send messages and we put like 15 exclamation points behind it. Okay, some of you I know, every single thing you communicate, you're like, bold exclamation points. Just relax, it's gonna be okay. Like you need this message. Just lower the case, let's go a little softer, we're all gonna be okay. And, and so, but what Jesus is doing here, rightly and appropriately, is he's saying, my care for you is much more. 
What he's communicating here is he's like, listen, it's not just to a great degree, it increases to a greater degree. Think in regards to God's sovereign care for you. Think about it not in addition. It's like slightly more than what the world offers or even what he offers to the natural world. He's saying multiply it. And my care for you is much more than even my care for the natural world, which by the way, he created and sovereignly cares for. It's amazing what he's saying there with that much more. Wanting and, and longing and lusting after things and for more is, is one of the defining characteristics of our culture, isn't it? You hear the stories all the time, like people literally living in the chaos that results from a culture that loves to chase more and more pleasure at any cost. I was trying to think of a picture <laughs> It would sum up the chaos that comes from this, and this was the first thing that jumped to my mind. Like a tornado, a cyclone of chaos is what comes from our culture's longing for more and more and more. And into the culture and the cyclone of chaos in our culture, it traps people in this endless cycle of wants and desires, and it leads to destruction like this. This is, this is the picture of it. It, it doesn't matter the, the reality of what causes it, whether it's, it's power or sex or money or health or something else. There is a, a never-ending lust for more when my flesh is what's driving me towards it. When the pleasure from those uh, pursuits disappoint, it creates anxiety. I gotta have more just to, to fill me up a little bit more or, or it's when the happiness is fleeting and I, I can't take hold of it that I start to feel anxiety like that thing that I put my security in, that thing that I've honestly worshipped that I know isn't secure is going away or lessening and it creates anxiety. The things we can't control and into this you feel the storm rolling in and the darkness setting around your heart and mind. And, and, and when you're fully given yourself to the lusts and the pleasures of pursuing more in this world, your life moves to increasing darkness and disruption caught in a cyclone of chaos. You will never find the antidote for anxiety in the world. There's some places you can go both physically and mentally to kind of temper it or take the edge off or provide some relief, but it will not ever provide the antidote for anxiety. It will stir up more anxiety if you try to pursue it in the world. Solomon um, is referred to in this passage, but uh, actually Solomon captures this sort of cultural reality and moment in Ecclesiastes 1.14. Look at this verse. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he says, <clears throat> I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. I don't know, I've never seen anybody on the playground, like a little kid going, like chasing something. You're like, what are you chasing? The wind. <laughs> but Solomon is saying, that's what we do. When we try to satisfy ourselves in the things of this world, then in, in chapter two, verse one, he adds this. Solomon writes, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Is this not the message of the world? 
But behold, this also was vanity. It had no meaning. It was fleeting. It was superficial. These desires that I have. Few verses, a few books like Ecclesiastes do a better job of summarizing today's culture. We are called as God's people in a kingdom culture to rest in the much more of God's sovereign care. The comparisons that Jesus gives are simply uh, uh, chosen illustrations to communicate a message and, and speak loudly from the passage that you are much more to him than the birds or the lilies which he also created. We, you and me, those created as male and female in the image of God, we are the crowns of his creation. The crown of his creation. Like each and every human being is an image bearer of God, formed by God with the purpose of enjoying and displaying his glory. And, and church, I promise you, there is nothing, in, there's no message in all of the world like the message that screams from the passages of places like Genesis 1 and throughout the scriptures that gives dignity and significance to the human soul. And this is the very theological foundation out of which we are supposed to understand our own lives and our life. Each and every human being is an image bearer of God, formed by God with the purpose of enjoying and displaying his glory. And through faith in Christ, you can reflect that as a son and daughter of God. See, it isn't really about the specific provision of actual food or specific items of clothing. It's not really about any specific thing that God might provide. Why? Why can believers in third world countries, places that I've visited, why can they read this passage and find peace in the face of more need than many of us will ever experience? How? How? See, in their desperation and in their need, what believers in places that go through way more struggle for provision than we do in our country, they have found the much more of God's sovereign care in physical and spiritual ways. It is awe-inspiring. They have learned to be content with so much less. And sometimes I think we just need to look in the mirror and be like, I'm spoiled. We are spoiled in our culture. See, what happens is that, is that in the, the place of lack, they've learned to be content with less. And their capacity for peace in the face of lack is stronger. Because need creates a, 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 mo, a, like a point, a moment when, when God is challenging you to find him has the much more. They know the much more of God when you've been stretched in that way. The, the much more of God that satisfies their soul with peace and contentment, even if they face starvation that might lead to death. Where the much more might lack in the physical world, it is never lacking in the spiritual realm. This realization does, again in this passage, what Jesus has been teaching in the past few passages. 
He's training us to understand that everything changes and, and the training and the experience of the fallenness of this world is to prepare us, to train us to focus more on heaven than on earth. Every temptation to anxiety, think about it like this, it'll raise your ability to step into and face the reality of anxiety as opposed to being paralyzed by it. Every temptation to anxiety is an opportunity to be trained to rest in the much more. Let's turn the, the fallenness of our flesh and the reality of our world, let's turn it against itself. Let's start to think that, that when faced with the temptation to anxiety, it will give us a, a, an opportunity to learn to abide in the much more, to, to live from the much more, as opposed to being paralyzed by it. Rest in the much more of God's sovereign care. Uncompromising trust in your heavenly Father is the only antidote to anxiety. That's the first idea, is for us to understand how to be a people that rest. And it's critical that this is the starting point, that we understand the much more of God's sovereign care. And for some of you, you need to enter in by faith into what God offers you in that. And God will require of you a laying down of some of the things that you want to hold on to as you enter into the throne room because when you begin to enter into the throne room, you begin to raise your hands in worship and release your hands on all those things. Do you see it? This is what God's teaching us in and through this subject. Now, you can't, God doesn't just want you just to rest in the much more of God's sovereign care because he continues and there's more to this passage. So let's look at it. Second part of the antidote, prioritize God's kingdom. Jesus secures your heart. You see again here, church, like something that you have to note is that when God is a heavenly father, he's not just like, I need you to do this. That's not his first response. He is a tender-hearted, loving father. And so the first thing he does is he goes, let me tell you about the much more of my provision for you. But then he doesn't leave you there. He wants, to, he wants to move you to a place where actually he wants to take your focus off of yourself and he wants you to learn to prioritize God's kingdom. That's the second part. Because if you stay just in this place of just like resting, it will be good and God will do some things, but, but there's, there's a life that he wants you to live and he actually starts to show you the road out of anxiety in verses 31 through 34. Notice here in this passage, he uses the word twice, once in verse 31 and at the beginning of 34, therefore. Therefore is a clue in scripture. You see it in Paul's writings in uh, some of the uh, letters to the churches. Therefore is a signal that, that there's like, okay, okay, all that stuff I've taught about, it's so that, therefore, now you can live rightly. And so let's look first at 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious. Based on the much more of what I've called you to, to resting in my sovereign care, therefore don't be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things because their perspective is only what's on right in front of them as they have no knowledge of God. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But then he doesn't go after that. He doesn't go, well, if you just wait, he'll take care of all of it. No, what he says is, is he says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
See, part of the antidote to anxiety is not just resting in God's sovereign care, but it's moving forward in a redemptive way. It's moving forward towards a right purpose, a right aim for your life. He's actually asking you here, he's saying, you, you need to, if you want to move into the therefore, if you want to apply this to your life, if you want to prioritize God's kingdom, trust me, prioritizing God's kingdom is not just saying like, sweet, I got it. Just gonna, just gonna, just gonna nail it. I'm gonna go after that. It always requires a reprioritization because your life and my life, we've established some priorities in our life, I promise. God knows. Anyone who's close to your life knows what your priorities are. The way that you think, the way that you live, the decisions that you make day in and day out. And God's saying here something so radical. He's saying, reprioritize your life so that the kingdom of God and God's righteousness are number one. And if they're number one, everyone should know that's around your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What he's saying here is he's saying, you need to give your highest allegiance to God's kingdom, not to the kingdom of this world. And, and what this is, church, is it's mission language. This is mission language. This is why at, at Christ Church, one of the things we're, we're, we're striving towards and praying about and processing and wanting to lead our church well in is what it means to be a mission-central community. Because the church for too long has chased after all sorts of peripheral things that very often has made it look very much not like the church that you see in the scriptures. And when we say that our mission is to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations, we want to give ourselves to that as the first and primary focus, consumed by this reality. And this is so critical for us to, to, to recognize and to understand. See, the prioritization of the kingdom of God will define your purpose, your thinking, your plans, your dreams, your specific actions. If you imagine for a second the reality of your life in a frame, like a picture, the kingdom of God and his righteousness should be what colors everything. It should be the base color in which you paint and all the beautiful distinctiveness is just the ways that the, that the, that the goodness of God is, 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 is painting out the specifics of your life, but the color of it should be the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, what, what God is doing here and what Jesus is certainly doing in the Sermon on the Mount, you see it throughout the Sermon on the Mount and then you see it in his teaching, particularly in Matthew, is, is Jesus is announcing the reality of God's kingdom breaking into the world. And so the only way the kingdom's gonna break into the world is as God leads people to him to put their faith in him that then the kingdom of God breaks into our heart and life and then through our life, God wants his kingdom to break into the world. That's the beautiful way God's worked for eternity. And the antidote to anxiety has two components. It's resting in the much more of God's sovereign care and living for the purpose of promoting God's kingdom. And I want you just for a moment to see what God's offering you that the world cannot ever fulfill. In those two things, 
the much more of God's sovereign uh, care and in prioritizing God's kingdom, God is giving you a stable foundation and an eternal purpose. A stable foundation and an eternal purpose. Just those two, church. Look at the world. A not an unstable foundation and a temporal purpose. Cyclone of chaos leading to anxiety in the midst of a whole lot of other social and moral and mental ills. It's a stable foundation and eternal purpose. And you know, you know what, the, what the eternal purpose does? And I've seen this in my own life and in my own struggle with anxiety. One of the, one of the deceptions of anxiety is, is that it literally starts to stir your heart up in such a way that you become paralyzed by anxiety. How many of you have seen this? It, maybe it's with a small decision or a or move or a circumstance that's happening in your life. It could be something massive. You, you, your mind gets consumed with this and you get, you get literally paralyzed by anxiety. And what, what Jesus is doing here so lovingly and beautifully is he's like, okay, okay, get to the right foundation of my sovereign loving care as your heavenly father. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek first. I know you're, you're so consumed by all the things you could be thinking about in your mind and the circumstances of life. And he's like, listen, I'm gonna help you. Seek first. You know, when somebody's panicking, you're just like, okay, one right step. Just get one right step. And, and literally that step to, to, to seek first the kingdom of God can be a, a way to get out of a place of inactivity can help you take a move away from the paralyzing impact of anxiety. You know, one of the things in our culture that I, I see a lot that is concerning to me is the, is the level of inactivity. I know what I'm talking about here. I mean, the stats show it everywhere. The studies everywhere are showing the enduring damage of a sedentary lifestyle. And... Um, our culture, with all of its comforts and wealth, has certainly um, uh, experienced the problematic impacts of this. Inactivity in front of screens is literally accelerating death physically and mentally. It's really tragic, honestly. The impact and the ramifications of this are just being realized to a depressing degree, honestly, in our educational systems throughout our country, and even moving on into a, a later life. The distraction of entertainment is not healing anxiety. It's not. It only avoids or delays the problems and oftentimes makes it worse. When, when you're bored or lacking purpose, um, anxiety always gets worse. I see it again and again. You, you end up spending too much time either trying to have anxiety about your anxiety so you try to escape your anxiety by just something to sort of numb your brain or you're left thinking in a place of boredom or lacking purpose. You get consumed by your anxious thoughts and too much time to start thinking about today and then the next day and then you drift off into the unknown future and suddenly you're thinking about all the ramifications of the ramifications. You know Why? Because we're, we're trying to be God. And, and God so lovingly here is reminding us and calling us back to a right activity and a right priority. 
He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, people talk about how physical activity will, will, can actually help you um, manage anxiety and I agree that regular exercise can help you manage a lot of things better. But, but again, it, it, it's not the antidote for anxiety. It requires more than just physical activity. The primary or first move is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus is clear here, church. This is the path to the flourishing life. And he beckons you to it and he wants to woo your heart to it. The best possible life that you can live, the healthiest physically and mentally, is within the context of the kingdom of God from a stable foundation and an eternal purpose. Theodore Roosevelt almost had it right when he said this. Far and away, the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. A classic capitalistic statement. Let me um, add one adjustment and suggest that this is the truth. Far and away, the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at God's eternal work. <laughs> Church, I promise you that when you, when you start to not just enter into the kingdom of God, not just begin to worship Christ and, and rightly and in first things, begin to understand him as who he says he is and to put your faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. But beyond that, the next move that God wants to make to bring a flourishing life to you is that he wants you to engage in God's eternal work. And here's the best reality is that when you engage in God's eternal work rightly, it takes all the pressure off you. I'm not trying to teach some work-based salvation. Do not hear that. I'm not saying that now you get to work to earn your approval. No, the invitation to God's eternal purpose is completely by God's grace. It takes the attention completely off of you. The very giftedness comes from him. The, the energy and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit is what produces that in your life. And here's the best part. God's eternal work is not about promoting you. It's about promoting him. Have you ever, um, if, if you've ever been in like in sales, I, I, I know people in our church who are in sales. The, the worst possible job would be trying to sell something that has no value, right? Like you're like, this is really depressing and this brings a lot of anxiety. Like I'm trying to sell something or promote something or prioritize something that has no value. And that is why the beautiful reality of prioritizing God's kingdom beckons you to come and die, a death to self, a releasing of any obligation, any attempt to try to promote yourself. This is one of the great foolishness of the world is self-promotion. Like is, that's, that's a really depressing sales job, is self-promotion. And the beautiful glory of the gospel is that Jesus says, come and die to me, die to self, so that you might promote Jesus alone, and he is of infinite, immeasurable value. It's the beauty of dying to self and living for Christ. It's why I think that one of the fundamental verses that can form and help you and serve you as an antidote to anxiety is believing and living the truth of Philippians 1.21 
where Jesus teaches, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in God's eternal work, the troubles of the day will challenge you, they'll tempt your anxiety. It's why then Jesus goes on in verse 34. He says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so, church, what we have to do is we have to recalibrate our minds to focus on the present reality of Christ as you walk by faith. Yes, we love and affirm God and what he's done in the past. And yes, we, we love what God promises to do in the future. But the character of our God is that he is present right now. He's accessible to his people. That's why the psalmist declared that there are new mercies every morning. And throughout the scriptures, God reveals himself in the present tense as I am. Do you remember this? Like Exodus 3.14, God says, tells Moses that his name is I am. In, in John 8.58, Jesus testifies that before Abraham was, I am. Anxiety flees when your heart and life is focused moment by moment on the priority of God's kingdom. You're focused on God as I am, not as I was or I will be, I am. It causes you to see life through a different lens. We should think through this perspective, process through this reality, make decisions in light of God as I am. And then this, so important for us, wherever we might be this morning, when I stray, disobey, or forget, look at this on the screen, when I stray, disobey, or forget, I return to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness made possible by his grace that never stops extending to me from his sacrifice on the cross. Look at that. Wherever you come at this morning, wherever place you're coming from and entering into this place and hearing this word on anxiety from Jesus, where, when, when I stray, disobey, or forget, I return to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness made possible by his grace that never stops extending to me from his sacrifice on the cross. Seek this every day. Live under this reality and this call. His mercy is towards you. Antidote to anxiety. This morning, let's just think through this how, this, might, how this might help us process mentally. If you're anxious for your health, you need to be reminded that God knows every one of your days. So yes, be responsible to steward your body to the best degree of your wisdom and knowledge in this world, but, but the greatness of eternity causes you to live for Christ and to know that death is gain. You're anxious for more power, you're thinking a bit too much about yourself potentially and and, and why would you want more power in your strength if it's only going to disappoint and lead to more anxiety and alienation because power in my strength will disappoint? Instead, to use any influence that you have with people to point them to the immeasurable power of God. That's an awesome way to live. Are you anxious for more pleasure? You need to think about it through the perspective that it will only satisfy for a short time and will take something from your soul. True joy and pleasure is always found in God and in his kingdom. Anxious over the consequences of sin this morning. 
Stop wallowing. You don't need to wallow in the shame of sin. It will keep you stuck, but God's love and forgiveness calls you and beckons you to come to him and to find forgiveness and mercy. Are you anxious over broken relationships? God will inform you and empower you through his word to become an agent of reconciliation, but you've got to trust him to do the work that's required in other people's hearts. Are you anxious for more resources? The provision may not come in the way you expect. Continue to patiently search for resources while trusting the much more of God's sovereign care. And what what I want to to call us to do in anxious moments as we're navigating the realities of this and the way this causes our minds to think and our hearts to feel and sometimes our bodies even to respond is I want us to move into prayer to recognize God as I am, as present, leading you to prioritize his kingdom and, and, and like we learned a few weeks ago, we don't enter into prayer and immediately rush with all of our anxious requests. But we enter into the throne room of God and we stop and we recognize that he is present. That he's present. Enter into the reality of God as I am pray through anxious situations, asking God to get your eyes and your heart and your motives, prioritizing, focusing on God and his kingdom. I I honestly don't know any way to navigate through this life in light of what Jesus said in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, then to start your day off in prayer. I mean, immediately, we we all know this, immediately the worries of the day come at us like a flood the need for us to set the right trajectory for our life is so important. We need a morning reset with God. It'll set the trajectory for your day. Uncompromising trust in your heavenly Father is the only antidote to anxiety. Rest in the much more of God's sovereign care. Prioritize God's kingdom. So what I wanna do right now is, as we close, I wanna give us some space and time because many of us have come in here maybe this morning just burdened and overwhelmed by the reality of anxiety. And some of you even in this message are wrestling with anxious thoughts about a variety of circumstances. And I want to invite you as we sing this next song, I want to invite you forward. We have some leaders that are going to be available up front to even pray with you if you would like. Or maybe you just want to come and, and fill the front of this room with just, you want to come and kneel and just seek God. And these moments when we move to them in our church, they're, they're, mo- they're moments of commitment and they're, and they're moments of consecration. And they have a weight to them and a reality. And all I'm asking you to do is just declare in your moving forward to come and seek God. God, as you're saying to God, I am going to have an uncompromising trust in you, believing that this is the only antidote to anxiety. And if we can pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. And let's seek God and ask him to be the much more for us and for our awareness of him as I am to become so clear to us. And so I just want to invite you forward to come and to pray, to come and to seek God, to come and be prayed for. We want to walk together in community with one another and share the burdens that we're carrying. And so as this song is sung, I just want to invite you to come, to come and commit, to come and consecrate your hearts before the Lord. Let's do it now.